Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, and my co with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, this is really Hi, special because <laughs> we're in the same room today, which is really cool. Uh, we're both in New York City, and I love it because we have a wonderful person that we had dinner with in New York City that Heidi introduced me to, who happens to be in the United States right now from Afghanistan. So this is very exciting to be able to be together to talk to one of our favorite people. Do you want to introduce Lila, Heidi? I would love to. So Lila Schwartz is my former student. She graduated from Columbia University in the School of Social Work, and she is doing some really incredible work in Afghanistan. She is a therapist over there, and she is a technical advisor who administer, administers emergency aid. She helps grieving Afghans and their families, and she implements mental health to very vulnerable people. Welcome to the show, Lila. Hi, thank you for having me. Lila, for our audience, tell them how many people like you are even in Afghanistan. Yes. How many Americans are doing this work? Not many. Maybe some that I'm not aware of, but based in Kabul, I'm amongst one of the only mental health providers independently working amongst Afghans. That's amazing. It is absolutely amazing that you would go over and help vulnerable people. How do you happen to speak Farsi? I volunteered in a refugee camp in Greece um, a couple years back when there was a huge migrant flow from Afghanistan to Europe, and I was... Uh, working amongst Afghan miners, and I got very connected to them and decided I really want to start learning, and now I live in Afghanistan, and I still have a lot to learn, but yeah, I communicate there in Dari, Farsi Dari. In Dari? Wow. Can you say hello to our audience in Dari? <laughs> Salam alaikum. That's uh, very amazing. Thank you. Well, tell us what your day-to-day -day is like over there in your work. Yeah, I work on several different projects, so um, my days are pretty hectic and move around a lot, but I usually start by visiting the hospitals in the morning or teaching at the university. Um, I work on a burn unit for women who have attempted to commit suicide or have been burned by acid or by some form of gas. And when I arrive there, we just check in, see what patients need the most help, and then we assess uh, their severity and how suicidal they are and how we can help support them uh, and prevent them from attempting again. And then afterwards, I usually go to clinics, smaller clinics, or work on smaller projects. Um, for instance, a clinic for addicts or another local Afghan hospital where there's an outpatient clinic. And we do a lot of meeting with NGOs about implementing projects for mental health or MS. MHPSS, Mental Health Psychosocial Support. And then we have meetings with ministry about their strategic planning, a lot more meetings about how we're gonna work out things. And then I see individual clients at night at a office. Wow, now how much have you dealt with grief and loss over there? I know mm -hmm. obviously, um, you know, having burns and all that kind of thing, but have you followed through with families where there actually has been a loss or family members? Yeah, actually on the burn unit, a lot of them are so unstable and such a majority of their body is burned that they end up dying, which is really horrific and unfortunate. But also within that hospital, there's a trauma unit. So we see a lot of people coming in and out after disasters. I think besides trauma, grief is probably the most visible thing people witness in Kabul. So, so are people open about the way that they grieve and do they talk about it or is it something that's kind of hidden, not spoken about? 
I guess it depends on where you are, but from my personal experiences, um, if we know someone's going to die, it's not talked about. So for instance, there was this patient who was really uh, sick at the hospital and all the doctors said that there's no chance that she would end up living. And I asked if um, there was something we could do for her children, like could she write a letter or verbalize a letter that we could write or could she say goodbye or is there any form of way to kind of say, have closure or say goodbye and um, the hospital staff like was really against any form of communication that she was going to die. Wow. That's we get a lot of pushback. Yeah. So even the staff is just culturally not talked about. Yeah. I think uh, mental health as a whole there is very difficult, but yeah, it's not something that they plan for and or want to discuss or process. So, so how are the funerals handled? From what I understand, I've only been there for 11 months, but um, from what I witness, I am usually there when it, the incident happens. Um, so after someone dies, depending if they're male or female, the person is taken home. And then within usually 24 hours, they need to be buried. Um, so what happens is, yeah, they take the body home and then they have the burial. And then afterwards they have, for better terms, like I guess a memorial of some sort. So families come, the community comes. It's really important that the community and their families are a part of it. And then there's a thing for 40 days. So every Thursday up to 40 days, they have another like prayer ceremony every Thursday night. So for four Thursdays until it hits 40 days. And they have this thing, uh, I don't know what it's called in English, but in Farsi, this thing on the 40th day of the loss. And then after a year, they also have another ceremony. But it's, I think I was just discussing with some of my colleagues and friends in Kabul that the process is much longer. Um, than it would be in the States. And it's very different from a men's experience and a woman's experience about how you grieve. Mm. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing her say, Heidi, that I like is the fact that the community does stay together for that long period. And supports the family. Yeah, and have a set thing that they can anticipate that they will know that this is gonna happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that sounds like it's very positive. I agree. Yeah. But you're saying men and women grieve differently. Yeah. And for in this 40 days or year, some families don't participate in like watching television or celebrating a wedding or any of these events to like show respect to the person who died. Mm -hmm. um, but for women in some communities, they're not allowed to go to the burial. From what I understand, most communities and also um, how they process or like express their emotions. And it's similar to the States, but it's much more like non-externalized, I guess, for women than it would be for males. Well, we saw that in India at the Ganji River. The men mm -hmm. carried the body down and then they gathered around it and it was crazy. And they wailed. And they wailed, but there were no well, women. Great, but there were no women there. It was all men and yeah. the family members and the body was there and they burned it, cremated it mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the family members, look, the men looking on. And they did have a ceremony after a year also yeah. uh, to recognize it. So. And also there's another tradition that I was in a room once at a hospital with management and someone, um, a staff member, their family member had died and we, they all sat down and then they all did prayer, uh, a prayer for him if they didn't make it to the funeral. So they, I was so shocked that they allowed me to stay in the room, but it was really interesting to like see the bond amongst them and like such support amongst even their colleagues because there's this like, very close knit like support system. Mm -hmm. so. so do Afghans believe in an afterlife? Yeah. Okay. 
So that's part of the healing, I guess, is that you'll be reunited. I think it depends on who you speak to and what religion they tend to follow. But I think from Islamic knowledge that I have is, yeah, that you'll be reunited and that there's an afterlife. And have you worked with grieving families? Yeah, I mostly work with them what immediately after it happens. So after an explosion or after traumatic death or something unexpected. So I'm there in the beginning process, mm-hmm. not so much um, long-term, but I've dealt with a lot of kids who have lost their parents. Okay. And how do you think they've found hope after loss? How do they go on and how, what have you found as far as resiliency in those kids? Yeah, the kids, you would think that they would have a lot of attachment issues, like losing parents at such young ages. Um, obviously they have experiences that are really difficult, but since it's so intense in Kabul, I think that they find ways to keep going because you're forced to, um, but they really rely on each siblings, family members, community members to help support them. I think what, when, when they're young, say four to five, they don't realize how much impact it has on later on life. So now when I'm seeing them at late teenagers years, um, they talk about like what it would be like to have a fit mom or what it would have been like to have this mom, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so really they look very resilient when there's so much loss around because they have to be, yeah. right? Yeah. There's not a lot of, yeah, as much as there's this long, prolonged period of grieving, it's very hard to like focus on that and heal and like talk about that person and how you honor them and all these things because the next day there could be an explosion or the next day they're dealing with severe other issues that are just as severe. So they're dealing with life-threatening issues themselves. So they don't have the luxury of kind of really processing and thinking about the grief. They just have to kind of move forward, it sounds like. Yeah, and as much as people don't want to talk about death or dying or other people dying, it's a constant reminder. Like when you ask someone, I'll see you in a couple of days, they're like, well, if I'm not dead. Wow. Okay. I I wonder when I hear this, um, are there some things that you found that you think that you could use in the United States when you come back as a social worker here? Uh, Are there some things that you think that you could help people with grief, loss, and trauma that you've learned there? Yeah, I guess the biggest thing there that I've learned is that having others who have experienced similar situations, so having groups for people who have lost, like, for instance, a group of journalist moms who lost all their children at one attack, like got together and really having that space to connect with moms who had also lost their child through a similar situation. That's pretty helpful there. And like having space to say, it's okay that you miss your child or loved one who had been lost going to therapy. Yeah. So the group process really fits into some of the things we know, compassionate friends and the things that Soaring Spirits Foundation does, Michelle mm-hmm. Fernandez, and this opportunity. The, uh, the internet's pretty amazing because it's a lot easier to find groups and, and experience with it. But, but they don't often don't have internet, right? Is that true? In Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. I don't know if everybody does. They're community-based and based on where you live, so they wouldn't utilize those services as much, but um, just connecting them so they're not isolated uh, yeah. and having a place to talk about it, even if it's not something they know how to express. For instance, a lot of the young kids I work with don't know how to express feelings. So we like really talk about what you're feeling, how to express it, how to talk about feelings. Um, So starting there, but when the women have a space 
from my experience, to talk to other moms or other relatives or family members who've lost someone in a similar situation, it's really been helpful. Wow. Mm -hmm. Hey, well, thank you for everything you're doing over there in Afghanistan. It's pretty amazing. I'm going to look forward to seeing you again when you get back to the U.S. We want to thank everybody for watching this YouTube today, and we want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own, and visit us to opentohope.com. And thanks for watching.